knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. What's up, y'all? want to welcome you back to the Hunt Stand Podcast, Season 2, and this is your host, Will Cooper. The Hunt Stand Podcast is your weekly source for insightful conversations with veteran hunters, dedicated outdoor enthusiasts, and top industry personnel. I'm going to have guests on here who are true experts in their field, diving into the captivating world of our industry and the great outdoors. With each episode, you, the listener, will receive invaluable knowledge, tips, and guidance on how to enhance your skills in the wild and in life. Tune in to be entertained, informed, and driven to reach new heights. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and its full line of class-defining, adventure-seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side-by-side vehicles. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Springfield Armory and their lineup of Model 2020 Waypoint Rifles. And finally, the Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by StealthCam. It's never been easier to go wireless with the Command Pro app. Capture high-quality photos and videos of all the action wherever you hunt with StealthCam's advanced cameras and data plans tailored to your needs. So make sure you check out their website today, StealthCam.com. Hunt Stand Podcast Season 2. Buckle up. It's going to be a good ride. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? It's your host, Will, coming back for a new episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be getting on HuntStand Pro contributor Josh Honeycutt to talk about how to get turkey hunting permissions. Now, me being from Texas, it's a little bit unfamiliar to me because you got to know somebody because property down here is heavily guarded by landowners. So it's pretty hard to go and knock on doors like it might be up in the Midwest, Northeast, wherever you are. But if you have that capability... Josh is going to bring y'all some tips and tactics per se about how to go about getting permission to hunt on property the right way and specifically using hunt stand as well. So if you're looking to do that this spring, you got some turkeys in the neighborhood or you've got some property nearby that you've seen turkeys on a lot and you want to find out to hunt it, then you don't want to miss out on today's podcast with Josh. So if you haven't yet, make sure you download the hunt stand app. We've got the free version, we've got the pro version, and then new this past fall, we got pro whitetail. So if you want to unlock all the features of hunt stand upgrade today. And we want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Sam Podcast Season 1. Y'all blew it out of the water, so I'm having a lot of fun on Season 2. We've got some good guests on so far, and we're going to keep the ball rolling. So I will quit rambling, and here's Josh Honeycutt with how to teach y'all how to get better turkey hunting permissions. Well, Josh, man, welcome back to the HuntStand Podcast. I want to do a quick intro real quick, but before we get into today's podcast, you know, let's talk about what we're going to talk about. And primarily, we're going to be talking about 
turkey hunting permissions. You know, turkey season is coming up. You know, it's started or it's beginning to start in different places of the country like Florida. And so there's people out there that they may not have their own private land. Uh, Public land might be, you know, the dirty grind and they might have pieces of property near where they live that they may see flocks of turkeys and they don't know how to go and ask for permission. So we're going to go into that today. I'm going to pick your brain on that. But before we do, you've been on the podcast before, but for those that may not know who you are, kind of give us that 30 foot tree stand view of what I call. Yeah. Uh, just a redneck from Kentucky who likes to shoot critters and write about it. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I've been an outdoor writer for, uh, about 12 years now, uh, 13 years now. Um, you know, I've been working in the, the, the hunting industry for that span of time. Uh, most of those years I've been a freelancer and contractor, uh, working for a number of, uh, different uh, companies in the hunting industry and, and, and fishing industries, you know, such as hunt stand, obviously. Um, uh, I have worked for, you know, uh, in, in kind of a full-time capacity for, for other organizations, such as the National Wild Turkey Federation. I worked for them full-time for two years. Um, uh, it's been a while now, but it's, but, but now I'd say that was t- 2014 and 15. So that's, that's been a few years, but um, worked for them for a couple of years and worked for other companies uh, in greater capacities like real tree camouflage. But, but for by and large, my career, I've been a, um, a content producer for a lot of different media and manufacturers, uh, com- manufacturing companies in the industry. Sweet, man. And what was it this past deer season? You kind of, I saw you started your own photography IG page too, haven't you? Yeah. So that's, that, I've, I wouldn't consider myself an expert in that by any means, but I have j- jump started that process this past year. Um, I'm not, I don't, I don't have a, a, a complete gallery uh, for sale just yet. Um, but that is in the works. And eventually, um, you know, I'll be adding that to the, to the list of too many things that I'm trying to do. <laughs> yeah. Like you were talking about earlier, drinking from the, the fire hose, man. Uh, what's the IG handle for that? Just for those that are out there that, you know, may want to give you a follower, check it out. Yeah. I got to do a better job of updating it than I have been here recently, but it's uh, at Honeycut Creative. Um, and uh, just all things wildlife, uh, most, mostly focus on whitetails and uh, Eastern turkeys, but, um, you know, coyotes, you know, um, occasionally birds, uh, you know, all things wildlife is going to be the focus. And of course I'm an outdoor writer. And so a lot of that content I'm using and pairing with the content that, that I create for all the different magazines and websites and brands that I, I, uh, produce content for, but, um, eventually, Eventually, you know, I'll, I'll be selling standalone photography as well. But that's where you can find it at. Yeah. Sweet, man. Can't wait to see more of it. So today's podcast, we're talking turkey hunting, man. Are you getting ready for it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Looking forward to it. When does season start for you out there? Yeah, so here in Kentucky, it's always the the weekend that's kind of closest to April 15th. It mm-hmm. kind of shifts a little bit each year. Sometimes it's like April 13th, 14th. Sometimes it's, you know, as late as April 17th, 18th, you know, in there. But it's always right around the middle of April is when we have our opening weekend. Okay, so it's super similar to Texas. You know, like our state's pretty much split in half. They take, uh, I think it's Interstate 90 or Highway 90. They basically uh, divides most of the the state so we've got the north zone south zone i think starts here pretty quick but north zone it doesn't start for me till april 1st so got a little time to get ready so for those that are in that scouting mindset they're trying to get all their gear ready they're they're looking at properties and like i said earlier they may be kind of more or less been fatigued and they're just kind of giving up on public land or they may not have private land 
but they've seen turkeys in the neighborhood, neighboring properties, got some flocks. I'm not too familiar with it myself, just being from Texas. You know how privatized it is here. And so uh, permission here, I mean, it's similar, but I haven't had to do it much. But you, on the other hand, you've got some experience doing that. So I kind of want to pick your brain today about how to ask for permission when it comes to turkey hunting. And you've got a pretty pretty good process on how to do that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You guys you guys guard the gates with guns and cannons down there in Texas. but uh, <laughs> And barbed wire. But, <laughs> And barbed wire, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, so I, I appreciate that though. No, no, no shade for me, but yeah. So it, it is a little easier, uh, you know, in the Midwest and the East, um, to get permission for turkey hunting. You know, I've, I'm just, just a, just a, as an example here, I hunt four properties here at home for deer, and I have access to about three times that much ground for turkeys, and that just kind of goes to show how maybe not well definitely there are fewer turkey hunters for one and people are less protective about their turkey hunting too so yeah. even if they do kind of happen to turkey hunt occasionally they don't care to let somebody else come in there and hunt too um whereas it's a much different story for deer so for people who don't necessarily have the access they would love to have for, for deer don't necessarily translate that to not having or not going to have access or it's the impossibility of gaining access for turkeys because it's a lot easier much easier to get access for turkey on than yeah. for deer hunting. And fortunately, um, if you get to know land, land, landowners that way, you know, and not just through turkey hunting, but through coyote hunting, even easier to get permission to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you kind of work, in, you know, work uh, and develop relationships with landowners through coyote hunting, through trapping, through turkey hunting, eventually you can get that access for deer in, in some, not always, but in some instances. So it's yeah. a good gateway to, to, to develop relationships that you need to have um, with those landowners. And there definitely is a process that you can use to kind of help find properties and then gain access to them. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, Kind of walk us through, I mean, how, how would you define your process? You know, like I, I, there's, there's other people I've talked to about this and they've got like all these different steps they might have in an if then scenario, or, you know, like if this happens then I'm going to say this and then do this, I mean, do you have that extensive of a process or, I mean, how do you go about asking for permission? I mean, yeah, yeah, I try not to be too cyborgish about it, but you know, it, it definitely is, you know, going to be kind of fall into categories. You know, if, yeah. if you're in this scenario, then you use these tactics. If you're in this scenario, you use these tactics. And so it's definitely important to really kind of have those plans, as you mentioned, going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I try, like I said, I try not to be a robot about things, but there definitely are certain responses that you should have given the situation that you find yourself in. Okay. So let, let's kind of. I think a lot of the listeners out there are probably thinking about they've probably got landowner A who has X amount of property, but they've seen flocks of turkeys out there. They've already got deer hunters, but they know nobody turkey hunts out there. So do you just randomly go up on doors and you just start knocking or do you try and develop that relationship by calling? You know, obviously you're using HuntStand to look up property info. Uh, What's kind of step one for Josh in this whole process? Yeah, and, and and that's that's one of those things where it's going to depend, in my opinion. Um, so if it's close to home, if it's people that I know, um, you know, maybe I already know who these people are. That I know the landowners are, uh, but I haven't necessarily asked them for permission. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, a, a phone conversation or a visit to their property is going to be sufficient. Um, you know, phone call. You know, generally it's it's harder for somebody to tell you no in person 
you know, yeah. they're going to be less likely to tell you no in person if you're right there in front of them versus over the phone or an email. Um, the less connected you are, um, uh, the more mediums or more distance that you put between yourself and that individual during that conversation, um, uh, the, the easier it's going to be for them to, to reject that 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 uh, request. So um, you do kind of increase your odds of gaining permission by asking in person. Uh, doesn't guarantee it, obviously, but it increases the odds. Um, when you look at the percentage breakdowns of yeses to nos from, you know, sending out letters versus making a phone call versus asking in person, you're going to have a, a greater degree of success on the in-person requests than you will. And those others, as I mentioned, it's just easier for them to say no. Uh, but the, the situation that I find myself in dependence uh, or, or influences exactly how I make that request. So like I said, mm-hmm. if I already have a relationship with them and they're not too far away from my home, um, then, then I definitely like to do that in person. Um, whether that's visiting them at their house or seeing them out in public somewhere where, you know, you're going to cross paths with them, whatever the case might be. Um, um, so, so that's when I like to ask in person, if I'm on a road trip and I'm doing impromptu ask, then obviously in person knocking on a door is good too. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're trying to gain permissions well away from home in advance, um, sending out letters is a great way to do that. And a hunt stand is the perfect tool for that because obviously you can find properties that you like, um, that look good. Um, you know, via the different uh, app layers that are available on on the app. And then you use the property info information, uh, which offers the address, the mailing address for that property right there in that, in that as you well know. So all you got to do is draft a letter and send it to them. And, and it's really easy to do that. You don't have to do personalized letters for every single property that you send a yeah. letter to. You know, you just create a template. Um, and then leave blanks for the necessary changes in that information. So you kind of streamline that process and it costs you 60 cents to do it. I think that's the cost of a stamp now um, yeah. versus ho- however much gas it takes to drive to said location, especially if you're bouncing around a lot mm-hmm. of different counties or even different states in this process. It's much, much cheaper, even if you have to send out 200 letters just to get two or three yeses versus uh, you know, driving to all these properties or even driving to half that many properties to get two or three yeses. You're going to come out way ahead as far as how much money you spend to gain that access, uh, sending out a bunch, a bunch of letters in mass versus, uh, you know, driving to all those different locations. Dude, I think you just brought up something that people my age, I mean, how, how old are you now, Josh? Uh, 30. Okay. Wait, you're 30? Mm-hmm. Man. Kind of making me feel. Old. Do I look? Do I do I look old or do I look young? I was gonna put. Question. I was gonna put like that 36, 37 mark on you. Well, that, that's not terrible then. Okay, so I'm thirty one. Yeah. So, I mean, you and I are kind of that that same mindset. But I wouldn't you agree that a lot of people probably around our age and much younger they probably don't think about what you just said, and that's sending mm-hmm. letters. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, nobody has landlines anymore. Nobody had mailboxes will be gone here in another 10 years. (laughs) You think, you think so? No, I don't, I don't think so. I'm joking. But, uh, but, but I guess that's just uh, my, my facetious way of talking about how things have changed, but yeah, no, definitely. It's It's not something that people think about for sure, but it is still an effective method, especially when, when you look at the, the age of land ownership, Um, Mm -hmm. most of the landowners out there are older landowners. Most yeah. of them are. 
Yeah. And so they still they hold more value or put more place more value on a on a, a written note mm-hmm. than people millennials um, and, and even some Gen Xers. Um, you know, especially if they're baby, you know, baby boomer generation, they're going to put more emphasis and more value on that that handwritten note. And like I said, you can have a you know, a typed up letter, um, but, but throwing that personalized note on there where, you know, you sign your name or, uh, you know, uh, you know, write their name in or whatever it is. And, and maybe, uh, throw a, a PS in there. That's, that's handwritten with some, you know, s- slight note or something that's personalized to them. If you're able to do that and have enough information to do so. Uh, but, but yeah, for sure. Definitely don't overlook the power of the letter. It can still work. Man, that, that is so true. You know, I think so many kids and, you know, older adults and whatnot, I mean, whoever it may be, a lot of people just want to try and do it the easy way through text message, phone call. And while, yes, that may work in some situations and in some scenarios, but like you said, when, when it comes to that landowner that they want to do it the old school way and they get that letter in, it adds a little bit more value to it and it makes you, in my opinion, appear to be more of a trustworthy, honest, true person that's not going to, you know, take advantage of their land and do wrong. So definitely, absolutely. And that's a good note. point because a lot of these landowners, they don't want somebody, you know, some knucklehead on their, on their land running around. That's going to rut it up with tires and, and, you know, throw trash everywhere. And if you send a professional letter to them, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to be able to, they're going to identify you, you know, first impressions are, are everything. And so whenever they, they see that as the first impression of you, um, then you are, much more likely to, to make a good impression. And, and you can even go as far as uh, throwing your photo into that letter. So copy, you know, if it's a printed letter, copy and paste a photo of you in there so that they can see your face um, and, and stuff like that, just to, just to personalize it even more. And, and obviously make sure that's a good professional photo. You don't want to, you know, be throwing back, you know, uh, a sip of something in your, in your, like a, like a, a, a Facebook profile pic from college or something like that. But uh, yeah. make sure it's a professional photo, obviously. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, be professional, show, you know, you show your true self, mm-hmm. obviously don't, don't tell them somebody you're not, um, but you know, show yourself in, in, in the right light for sure. Yeah. Thousand percent. So, you know, th- that kind of comes down to, you know, I was, I was looking at a, a piece that you wrote about a year or two ago on different, uh, tips to ask for turkey permission you know you, you've got essentially it's 25 steps and you know we're, we're talking about appearance right now you know we've talked about the letter and we, we've kind of gone into the whole appearance thing and i love that one of the things that you've got in this is making sure that you're wearing the right clothing whenever you go to step up on their door it's mm-hmm. all about that first impression right mm-hmm. yeah and, and i think uh Sometimes it's best to not work. Definitely don't don't go up in full camo because that can be intimidating, no. <laughs> and, and, it, and it throws up red flags. Uh, not 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 in a bad way. I mean, not that can't, there's anything wrong with camo, okay. but you know, oftentimes if they see you coming from all the way down the driveway and you got full camo on, they've already got them. Oh, he's coming to ask for hunting permission. Mm-hmm. No. Um, so if, if you've got on street clothes that are fairly, you know, I wouldn't wear a tuxedo or anything like that, but, but, you know, just good, clean, you know, business casual clothing is, yeah. is usually the best option for that. Man, that's, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Um, you know, and one of the other things you talk about, um, you, you kind of touched on it earlier, uh, you know, you, you kind of gain access, you can gain access through these properties and get to do more and more, 
like if you start out by doing predator hunting, because I feel like a lot of landowners look at that as something that, you know, obviously they're, they're probably either got livestock, they've got deer, uh, and they understand that, you know, coyotes, bobcats, other predators, they take after, uh, fawns and go after anything, you know, turkey, everything. So getting your foot in the door with predators is right. And just kind of slowly gaining more and more access. But one of the things you talked about too, is when you're going up and asking for this permission is explaining your role as a hunter conservationist, kind of explain that to us. Yeah, it's definitely important to talk about that aspect of it whenever you're going and meeting these landowners, you know, convey to them that, you know, yes, you're a hunter and you take resources off the property, Mm -hmm. but you, you, you do so in a manner that helps the resource because obviously you know overpopulation can be issues you know disease can be issues um you know a a healthy ecosystem requires removal of of all species um and in the modern world that we live in where we've so radically driven predators off the scene and, and and i shouldn't say that we've radically driven them off the scene but but in comparison to you know 100 200 300 years ago they just aren't as prevalent. Right. Um, and, and, and that wasn't something that happened by design. Well, I guess initially it was years and years and years ago when they first settled America, they did remove predators mm-hmm. by design because, um, you know, the settlers saw them as competition. So the, that, that what, you know, and we're talking 300 years ago, but so, so that has led to a much, much smaller predator population today than it used to be in the environment before, America, so to speak, um, before the United States. So it's important that hunters continue to, to, to fill that role. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now that predators don't necessarily fill that role as much. And we still have predators, obviously coyotes, bobcats in some places, you know, mountain lions, bears. So there's still predators. And honestly, the predators have started coming back compared to where they were a hundred years ago, or, you know, even 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. So, so hunters are, actually having to decrease some of their role in that, especially the past several decades where black bears have really come back since, you know, 50, 60, 75 years ago when coyotes crossed the Mississippi and came into the Eastern United States and they yeah. obviously had a major impact. So, so hunters have less of a role in that now. And honestly, state re- uh, agencies are having to restrict some of that hunter harvest to accommodate that and account for that. But mm-hmm talking to these landowners about that aspect of it, that you're there to help preserve the resource, to help analyze it, determine what it needs, what it, what it doesn't need, and that you're going to make sure that that resource in the best of your ability, obviously there's many such things that are out of your control, but, but for those that are in your control, you're going to leave that resource in, a, uh, in as good or better um, of a place than it was whenever you found it there. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's really key super important that when you're doing this to not to not make it appear as oh, I just want to be there to kill the biggest buck or I want to kill the biggest tom and turkeys you got I want to kill them all like putting forth that good foot that you're there to help be a good steward to their land and take care of it I think speaks volumes yeah and there's a lot of ways that you can actually take act you know other than just say hey I'm going to make sure I don't mess things up there's things you can do that take actionable uh, as long as, you know, in, in, in the goodwill and, and, and permission of the landowner, there's things you can do to help that landowner, mm-hmm. such as bringing in 
um, private land biologists, you know, they, they might not be aware that they have access to private land biologists through their state agencies. They might not be aware that, hey, they can enroll into government programs that pays them or at least funds them to improve the habitat on their property, which increases their property value. So there's things that you can do as long as you're educated in these uh, areas yourself to help those landowners that cost nothing to you. It makes the, the the hunting even better on the property and it helps that landowner out because it, A, it helps the wildlife, which they probably value and B, it increases the property value by doing so. So there's a lot of ways you can take actionable. Again, don't do it without the permission of them. Just right. convey this information to them, let them take it from there basically, unless they give you the go ahead to, to be that steward. But uh, yeah, definitely ways that you can help them out for sure. And, and, and show them that you care, you know, about, all the different stakeholders, which is the wildlife, the landowner, the land, and yourself while you're there. You know, the other thing that I want to talk about with you, um, I think people kind of, they've got this negative connotation when they hear these words or, you know, that you kind of cringe when you hear this stuff. Uh, you talk about legal protection, making sure you offer that with the landowners because that's very important. I mean, talk to us about that. Yeah. So, you know, a lot, uh, it's crazy how much has changed even in my 30 years of uh, the frequency and the prevalence of lawsuits with different things. You know, I mean, you, you stub your toe on a stump and somebody's suing you, but, um, or you're suing somebody else. But, uh, yeah, so I, I, I don't believe in all that, you know, obviously, unless it's completely merited and, and, and something needs to take action, but lots, there's so many instances where, you know, these frivolous lawsuits shouldn't happen. And, and that spooks landowners. A lot of times that's the primary reason that they don't let people on their property anymore. Fortunately, there's an answer for that. Um, multiple answers for that. Um, you can get very cheap uh, uh, insurance for these landowners. And you mm -hmm. can, if they're willing to let you on without having to pay uh, for a lease. And even if they are, uh, only going to let you on with a lease. I think it's important that um, insurance is involved just for, for, for lack of a better reason than, than sometimes it can gain you the access and, and remove that obstacle. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's insane how many people just want to sue because of the most ridiculous things. Uh, when it comes to legal protection, you know, you might just be asking for permission because you've seen a certain field or, you know, there's a woodlot with turkeys in it and you just basically want to go into go hunt for a weekend. You just want the permission to try and kill a bird for a weekend and whether or not you come back to that. I mean, is that a situation where you're looking to try and offer any kind of lease agreement or that's just you're trying to put best foot forward, make, make them – Make it well known that you're a trustworthy person that with this landowner, so that you try and get that permission for that yeah. weekend. I mean, I think you know it, it is important that you know because the land, you know, a lot of people gripe and fuss about how landowners don't let anybody hunt anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and and I understand that. You know, back in the day, everybody hunted everybody's property. No. Everybody had permission to hunt everybody's property, and and that's changed. And, and I do get that aspect of it, but at the same time, I also get the other side of it. You know, those landowners are the one not only paying for that property, but they're paying the taxes on it too. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're paying everything that, you know, it costs to own that property and, and, it's, and it's a resource. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking, for, you know, for permission. And I think 
Hunter should, you know, strike a bargain with them. But but even if you get to hunt it for free, I think that hunters should do something for those landowners to to help them out too. Um, you know, simply because you know it's their land. So yeah. even if you get to hunt it for free, like I said, offer to pay for the insurance to cover it. But but in addition to that, I would even uh, encourage people to you know. Uh, go help them out for a day. Um, you know, if you're, if you're only going to be hunting for a week, spend one day helping them on the property. If you're going to be, uh, hunting for a season, you know, block out two or three days to help them, you know, around on, on the property, whether that's mowing their yard or fixing up an old barn or whatever it is, you know, just, just show them that you care, you know, don't, don't just take, you know, give back to, and, and, and it might not even be that they might not need that. They might not want that, but, but, you know, again, you could go back to the uh, helping them to increase the the property value by, by helping the wildlife, you know, through the, the aid of, of government programs where they can make money uh, or, or private land biologists who can, you know, uh, help, you know, uh, advise on their property and wildlife too. So there's a lot of different ways that you yeah. can give back to that landowner. And, and it may be something as simple as sending them a thank you card and a $50 gift certificate to a, a local restaurant, you know, um, but just tell them that you care. Big time, big time things to think about there. You know, that's it. I feel like it's always kind of awkward at when somebody lets you hunt for free. Uh, it it kind of creates a weird weird vibe at times. Like you almost don't know what to do. But I think hearing you say those things, uh, it's, it's really good for people to hear that. I want to talk about you talked about these government programs. You know, I think a lot of listeners are probably ears perk up whenever they hear that. You know, they probably want to know. Obviously, different states have different programs. But from where you are, what are some of these programs like? Tell tell me like what some of these programs are that are offered to the private landowner that helps out. Yeah, I mean, so there's so many different ones. Um, I mean, you could, there's long lists and not all of them pay, mm-hmm. you know, the landowner to enroll their acreage. But sometimes even if they don't pay to enroll their acreage, they pay to make the habitat changes Yeah, or they help fund a percentage of it. Yeah. Um, one of the best ways to go about, because because a lot of these programs are region specific or yeah. state specific, even county specific. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, something that might be available in one location won't be available in another. That's just the nature of it because most of these programs are uh, regional focused or regional centric to, to uh, basically address issues or needs within those habitat types. Um, uh, and, and it could be something like preserving a, a butterfly in, in a place where, you know, they were once abundant and are now rare or preserving a mussel in a river, you know, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, there's different programs in different places. So some of the big ones, obviously that are more notable though, you know, CRP, that's a huge one. It's kind of nationwide. Um, uh, so that's the conservation reserve reserve program, a CREP. So CREP is a very similar program. Um, a lot of the, uh, here in Kentucky anyway, I'm, and I'm in Kentucky, so I'm speaking to Kentucky, but, um, a lot of the CRP acreages, um, have, have been and CREP acreages have been coming out simply because they've reduced those cr- contracts significantly. I think now they're basically get paid half of what they got for the past 10 and 15 year contracts that mm-hmm. a lot of these properties were enrolled in. Um, so a lot of those properties are coming out now and, and reverting back into to tillable agriculture simply because they can get more money that way. But yeah. sometimes people don't want that. Sometimes they don't want, you know, uh, people spraying on their property or mm-hmm. or they just like the, the thought of having the habitat or maybe they don't need the money. And so they'd rather just have quality habitat rather than 
uh, a bunch of tillable, um, you know, beans and corn, which is good for habitat, good for deer. Yeah. When those crops are in, but honestly, when you look at the tonnage per acre, you're much better off to have a lesser, have some of that, but a lesser percentage of that. If you're just looking at a property to manage it for deer and turkey and wildlife, you're much better off to have a lot of early successional habitat, young growth grasslands and and young growth trees and stuff like that, that offers a higher tonnage of uh, food and not just at certain times of the year when those crops are standing. So, um, you know, a lot of those acreages are like, oh, well, man, he's, he's got 200 acres and 150 of its corn. They got all kinds of food. Well, they've got all kinds of food for a while then boom, the farmer takes all that away and they've got much less food. Yeah. Whereas if you had say like 50 acres of corn and 150 acres of good quality, early successional habitat, you're offering a higher percentage of tonnage of, of, of food stuff for those animals much longer throughout the year. So um, some people may want to keep CRP, which offers a lot of cover and food mm-hmm. for different species or wildlife species and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of different programs out there. I got on, got on a tangent, but, um, lots of different programs. I mean, a lot, one, one really common one is a WRP wetland reserve program. Uh, that's very common in Iowa, uh, very common throughout the Midwest. Uh, some of the, some of the, um, some of the South, so it's not as common in the Southeast and Northeast, but it's really, really common in the Midwest. And you can find some of that, I think in those other regions as well. But, um, but I'd say the most common are CRP, CRP, um, WRP, a lot of these CRP and CREP contracts that have recently ended are going into, I can't remember the acronym. I think it's ACEP. Um, but it's it's very a very similar program. I may be wrong on that. Don't quote me on that. But it's a, it's a very similar program and con- concept, um, but but under a slightly different name. Um, okay. So I, again, one of the best ways to do that to find out what's available to you is look at the government programs. A lot of these are through like the USDA, yeah. or at least they have inf- information on it. Um, but you can go through your local ag extension office to figure out what's going to be best for your area or most common in your area. Uh, find your ag extension office, um, which is oftentimes run through, you know, local colleges and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, like, and, and, and so being able to contact those resources, they're going to help you out and figure out what's available to you. Gotcha. Definitely some good advice there. You know, one of the, one of the other things I want to ask you, what kind of charm is Josh Honeycutt putting on these landowners to get <laughs> this permission, man? Like give a, give us some nuggets, give the listeners some nuggets, how well, they can put some of that on them. I, I wasn't I wasn't uh, blessed with with a pretty face, so I don't, I, know about I, that, I don't man. have that going for me. But there are a lot of things you can do. Um, yeah. You know, you, if you've got kids, you know, you can bring, especially if they hunt with you. You know, if you you know, don't, don't go get you know your you know great niece or or your cousin three four times removed that you haven't seen in two <laughs> or three Christmases just to have yeah. a kid with you. Use your kids, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, don't don't go rent a kid to get hunting pressure, <laughs> or excuse me, hunting access. But uh, you know, if you have kids, or mm-hmm. if if you take kids hunting, you know, and, or, uh, you know, like like if you work through, there's a lot of like like I said, there's a lot of uh, local NWTF chapters that mm-hmm. you know do youth hunts. So yeah. if, if you're gaining trying to gain permission for that, sometimes it can help you increase the odds of getting that permission if if you take along the kids that that will be hunting with you, and not just kids, but but adults too. Like like if you're helping somebody new, yeah, uh, say hey, I'm in the process of helping you know such and such uh, to 
basically get into the outdoors and we're trying to find some access to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, that can be a good way. Cause then they say, Oh, well, you know, obviously you're not a selfish person that just wants it all for me, 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 you know, you're trying to help somebody else. Um, so gaining, it's a lot easier to gain permission if, 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 if a kid or, or a new hunter, you know, even if they're adult are going to be part of that process or part of the picture. Um, so that's a good way to do it. Bringing gifts is good too. Um, you know, bringing, you know, uh, some baked goods, you know, you know, I've spent a lot of money, you know, you can find a cheap recipe and, and bake a bunch of goods, bake a bunch of cookies or something and package those up and take yeah. to them, you know, to yeah. show, Hey, you know, I come with gifts, but, um, uh, so obviously you can do that. If you have a pet, um, some, some people think you should, you know, bring bring your dog some people say you shouldn't um obviously if you know that the person is is a timid person maybe don't bring the pets along um you know i my dog i was my wife's dog she's got a multi-poo so that thing's not going to threaten anything i call it a cat but uh <laughs> you can bring that along yeah. um is this not a threatening animal mm-hmm. um i i uh, uh, i think you know a mice a mouse or even a herd of mice could uh, could do more damage than she could but uh, but yeah so you can bring dogs bring pets um you know there's a lot of different things that you can do mm-hmm. but i think just just being relatable you know and whatever whatever method you find you know obviously have a smile on your face you know be very polite you know uh, uh you know don't be and and this is one of the harder things for me is cuz i'm you know, by nature, I'm kind of, uh, more reserved, quieter, um, not a complete, you know, introvert, but, you know, I, I, I slide more toward that end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, so sometimes that can be hard for people. It's hard for me sometimes, you know, um, but that's something that you got to make sure you do is be very, um, personable when you're doing yep. this or you're, you're not going to get permission. Absolutely. Well, man, th- this is all really good advice. Uh, Especially, I think it's good for a lot of young hunters to take a lot of this and think about it, you know, any hunter for that matter. But before we go today, you got any kind of nuggets or any hidden tricks up your sleeve that you do use to get some of that that you haven't shared yet today? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been talking about, you know, you know, you know, the article that I wrote um, recently for Hunt Stand on this, you know, there's 25 different tips and steps, however, mm-hmm. however you want to look at that. Um, you know, I think, you know, obviously we won't give all those away because we want them to go check out that content. But, yep. uh, you know, some of the things that people can do, um, you know, is is obviously use Hunt Stand because all the landowner information on there is going to be extremely helpful. Um, you know, <laughs> Obviously, you want to spend plenty of time um, getting to know these people. Um, Oftentimes, you're more likely to get an answer if you don't actually ask for permission the first time you meet them or see them, especially if it's somebody you know that you're going to see more often like yeah. so obviously if it's a somebody you know you'll never see then obviously you're gonna have to make the ask or, or more likely to make the ask you know in that first meeting or conversation but but if it's somebody you know you see quite a bit or you, you'll see multiple times two or three times mm-hmm. um maybe get to know them that first time and then make the ask you know on down the road after you spent time networking and getting to know them um it's also good to do a little bit of research on whoever you're going to be asking um you know don't don't be a, a super sleuth or anything like that but uh, don't don't be a stalker but you know, if you're friends with them on social media, you know, maybe go check out their page and see what they like to do, you know, um, especially if you're going to try to get a gift for them, you know, see what their interests are. If they, they share that on social media, um, maybe they like, um, 
to go to this restaurant or they like uh, this activity and you can kind of bring them up an inexpensive gift that kind of plays off that, um, you know, is, is good to do. But you know, it, 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 to increase that, at, uh, the, the, the odds of gaining that, there's a lot of things you're going to do, such as things we've cover, covered already. Mm-hmm. Obviously, start the process early on. Don't wait until the week before turkey season to ask because somebody else has probably already asked them or already has access. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and so there, there are certain things that you definitely want to do before you get there. A lot of the things, you know, that's in this article we've already talked about. Um, but it, it, it's it, again, it goes all of all the way back to making yourself uh, again. Don't paint yourself in, 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 in a false light, but but being as 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 personable as you can possibly be with the personality that you've been given um, is really probably the most important thing, um, because, I mean, it goes back to any aspect of life. People like to be around people they like. And yep. if you're not somebody that this person is going to be able to like, you're probably not going to get that permission. So, yeah. so that's really where it all boils down to. There are other tips and tactics in that article that that I think people can can maybe benefit from if it's something they haven't already thought about. Um, but that's really what it all boils down to. Love it, well, man. I think you have spoken a lot of good advice today for those that are on the hunt for that turkey permission land and they're trying to figure it out themselves. So. Like once they listen to this, they'll get a better understanding, a better idea of how to do it. So really appreciate your time today, Josh. Real quick, tell the listeners, I know you already dropped your uh, your Honeycut Creative page, but tell us where they can find you on social media. Yeah, I'm on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, you, you can find me at uh, Josh underscore underscore Honeycut. Um, uh, to find basically my primary uh, social media where I kind of uh, link to a lot of the the articles and stuff and post about a lot of the content that I create uh, from from a writing perspective um, and just general hunting general general life uh, perspective mm-hmm. um, and then obviously the Honeycut Creative uh, page is where where it's, it's just pure wildlife photography so th- those are usually the two best for Instagram and, and of course you can look me up on Facebook as well. Cool. Well, man, Josh, really appreciate your time today and hopping on the Hunt Stand podcast. Yeah, thanks for the the invite. Uh, uh, honored as well as always. All right, y'all. There you go. Hopefully, you'll be able to take some of that from Josh today and apply it to your permission tactics. So, listen to what the man said. Letters, dressing nicely, taking a dog, taking your kid with you, and just finding different ways to make sure the landowner understands that you're there to appreciate their property, that you're not going to disrespect it. You're there to take care of it and maybe even improve it depending on what kind of permissions you get. So hopefully you'll be able to take some of the stuff from Josh today, apply it to what you're doing, get that turkey hunting land and go bag you a big gobbler this spring. So thanks again for tuning in the Stand Podcast and we'll see you on the next one. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network brought to you in part by HuntStand the number one hunting and land management app. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.